Hey, welcome to Smart, Fabulous and Single. I'm Trisha Ann. Today, we're going to enjoy our bonus episode, The Producer's Pick. In this segment, my guests and I dissect the line from a movie, song, quote, social media post, scripture, or a topic you suggest. So, if you're ready for something life-transforming, stick around for today's episode. And if you have any questions, email me at pod at sfswoman.com. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes, visit our podcast page at www.sfswoman.com. Welcome back to the Smart, Fabulous, and Single podcast. I am your host, Trisha Ann. So today in my virtual studio with me is Pastor Buddy Walker. Pastor Buddy just completed a series for me on love after divorce. It was so excellent in episodes 56 and 57 for him to share his own personal experience and then to share with us his lessons, the lessons he's learned, how the Lord took him through and caused him to go through a process of healing, uh, how he met his new wife online, and how he tested the relationship before he made a commitment. I think a lot of us need to go through that process. And so it was really very interesting. Today's episode, we go behind the scenes with Pastor Buddy. And he just shares some more on, you know, preparing for marriage, what he's seen over the year. He confirms some of the things that we've heard before and tells us some more. And it was really very interesting because of what he had to share. Now, I must tell you from now, we had some connectivity issues and some buzzing and we weren't able to sort it out. But it's not that bad. You can stay for the full episode. Enjoy. I would like to uh, share with you from several different experiences, working with people, helping them to prepare for marriage. Uh, first of all, as a pastor and uh, having performed many, many weddings over the years and always requiring of uh, those who are planning to be married to go through a premarital type course and uh, speaking to them both from a biblical perspective and practical perspectives, relational perspectives, and uh, doing our very best to help them lay the foundation for a good marriage. Of course, what I found is once people have already made plans for marriage, it's kind of hard to get them to change their minds. The train is on the track and moving full speed ahead. There's been a few times that I should have told some people, no, this isn't good. And so I've been trying to assemble in my mind, what have I seen? What has really stood out to me as far as things that indicate a person is well-prepared, ready for marriage, if anyone truly is ready for marriage, there's a learning curve, as you well know. There are things you will not understand or grow into until you're actually in the relationship, but doing our very best to uh, enter Uh, with wisdom and maturity, uh, realistic expectations. Um, And then for the last nine years, as you've said, I have been the director of a residential program for young adults. The purpose statement we have for the discipleship school is equipping or empowering the next generation to succeed in relationships, 
career and Christian service. And I see a lot of uh, young adults that really struggle with relationships in a number of different ways. There's a, a lot of different factors uh, that I think uh, lead to that. And how can we prepare them uh, to do well in a committed, uh, faithful relationship to their spouse and then a relationship to their future children and raising those children? So those are the perspectives that I want to draw from, a biblical perspective, a pastoral perspective, a mentoring discipleship perspective, and then I might as well add one more dimension. Uh, I've been married for a lot of years. I have children. My wife and I have seven children. We have 16 grandchildren. And uh, so five of our children are now married uh, with children of their own. So I find myself often uh, praying for them and saying, how can I be a blessing to help support and strengthen their marriages? So. Those will be the, the thoughts or the basis of the thoughts that I'll be sharing. What I want to talk about are some principles uh, from scripture and some practical insights. Um, one of the topic areas is the highs of marriage. What makes marriage something to look forward to? And I think most people have an anticipation that marriage can be good and that it's something to be desired and look forward to. A scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be united firmly or joined inseparably to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's something in that scripture that says that desire uh, in the man's heart to not remain at his father and mother's his entire life. In some ways, it might seem easier. Uh, maybe they always provided for him, always got him out of trouble. And no, you're going to leave. You're going to separate. In order, the way I read this, is in order to cleave to be one flesh with your wife. So I believe God has put that in the heart of uh, every individual, both man and woman, and that there is a type of a divine anticipation of what God intends marriage to be, what God wants it to be. So that's a, that's a starting point. I think a young woman, as she is preparing for marriage, and I had several things that I really wanted to talk about. I strongly want to encourage, don't begin a relationship with a guy thinking that you're going to transform him. Like, you know, this guy isn't quite what I think that he should be, but maybe with enough attention, and uh, giving him enough input and direction and guidance, maybe he will become what he should be. That's a mistake. And, you know, I don't want to imply that you're going to find a person that is perfect in every way. There's going to be some issues because we're all a work in progress. 
Uh, we're all growing. And I do believe that God uses marriage to help us to grow into what he's called us to be. But if the young woman takes it on herself that she's going to be the reformer or the transformer or trying to make the guy become what she hopes that he will be, the dynamics of the relationship uh, change. And I don't know at what point it crosses the line where the young man actually feels like he's being mothered rather than truly loved by his bride-to-be or his, maybe at this point, his wife. And so I love the word empowerment so much. It's actually the term I used for our discipleship program. And I see empowerment basically some kind of a discernment of what the gifting and the calling is within an individual's life. And then how can I facilitate? How can I encourage? How can I support? And uh, so I think that's really crucial in the beginning of a relationship. And if there is a uh, deficiency there, then I, I think the person, the, the young lady should back away and say, you know, this might, you might be a good friend, you might be someone good to know, but marriage isn't really where this is uh, headed. I think another thing I really want to say to a, a young lady is be certain there's a respect uh, from the young man uh, towards, the, towards you as an individual. I've always been amazed at uh, Proverbs as it speaks about wisdom. Proverbs 1.20, wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words. And why did it use uh, feminine uh, pronouns there? And again, I think it was very much to show respect for a, a, wi a wisdom that God has placed within the heart of a, of a woman. And it's so important that the uh, young man has uh, a respect and um, it should be evidenced, it should be seen. You know, there's a scripture that says, it's not good for a man to be alone. And I've thought about that over the years. And, you know, I've thought at times it's based on uh, the need for love, for affection, for physical intimacy. And I don't want to minimize those things. But I've come to the conclusion that God has placed gifts within each one of us and that he chose marriage as a means of helping us to fully grow into the potential that he has given to us. And so when it says it's not good for a man to be alone, it could mean that there's going to be a deficiency in that man's life without the input from a loving spouse and appreciating the wisdom of God, speaking through that spouse, helping him to see, helping him to gain 
perspective. But then I do tend to read scriptures uh, sometimes as man, as male, and sometimes as mankind, humanity in general. And when it says it's not good for man to be alone, I tend to think, well, that's probably true for women too. Probably not good for them to be alone. That there is this mutual giving, this mutual sharing that helps us to grow into what God has called us to be. My wife is a woman of great wisdom. And uh, she doesn't try to control me. She doesn't try to mold me into what she wants me to be. But she speaks into my life, and I value her perspectives, uh, things that she can say to me. These are things that you're looking for in a marriage and I, I think they need to be evaluated early on, even before there's a romantic stage in the relationship. Are these things going to operate? Because they become the foundation for a really healthy marriage. I am encouraged by something as I'm working with 20-something-year-olds. Um, many of them have grown up in broken homes, broken marriages where their parents divorce. And I am seeing a stronger commitment to successful marriage. Now, some are a little fearful of getting married, and I, I do understand that. But as they enter into a serious relationship, I am seeing a stronger commitment that they do not want those marriages to fail because they've already lived through uh, the breakup of, of their parents and they suffered the consequences of it. So I think it's a really good topic, Trisha Ann. This is a, a really good thing to be talking about right now. So I think another advice I want to give to young women thinking about marriage is uh, be careful about being too desperate. <laughs> you know, being able to be content in whatever state you find yourself. If you're single, being able to be content in that state. Because when you're content, then you're not going to make foolish, impulsive mistakes. Tell yourself you're content. Like, it's okay to say, you know what? I would like to be married, but I'm content. You know, I, I can wait. I can uh, be certain that it's really of the Lord and that I'm not rushing. I'm not struggling. I'm not striving. There's a scripture, um, and it talks about, uh, single people, uh, both a single young man and a single young woman. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses uh, 8, and then later in the chapter 2, verses 32 and 34, Paul says, I want you to be free from concern. In other words, don't be overly worried. Don't lose your contentment. 
the unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. In other words, he's not distracted. He's able to give his total energy, his total focus to the Lord. And don't be concerned. Don't be overly concerned. Use that singleness to live for the Lord. And then it turns and it speaks to the unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the matters of the Lord, how to be holy and set apart both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about worldly things, how she may please her husband. Um, I had an experience with a couple of students that came into our discipleship school now eight years ago. They were two of our first students. They were both in their early 20s. Uh, they had some college already when they came. They had um, some work experience. They both had uh, worked as managers and uh, they were definitely leaders. And they became friends at the school. But what I began to see was synergy, how well they worked together. When the two of them worked together, they got so much done. And also they motivated all of the other students to work harder, the energy that they had. And I'll never forget, because they were such friends, I never thought of anything being a serious committed relationship. And until one day, we were helping a friend with a garden project. And her garden had become overgrown. The whole garden was vines. And so this young man, this young woman, uh, they were going to uh, get all these vines pulled out of the garden. And they began working together, and they began making this big ball. They began to roll the vines up. And they began to roll it and roll it, and it pulled more and more vines, and the ball became larger and larger and larger. I'm talking about a ball that's probably five feet tall. And together, they're pushing this ball of weeds and rolling it out of the garden. And for the first time, I looked and I thought, I wonder if their relationship is going to be something more than a friendship. They work together so well. They both had a calling to be missionaries. They were both very physically strong people and very strong in their emotion and uh, thinking. And, um, and then one day the young man came to me and he said, Pastor Buddy, I've been praying and I feel like the Lord has told me to start a relationship with this young lady and to prepare to ask her to be my wife. And I wasn't so certain. And so I asked the young lady, do you have any interest in this young man? It just so happened that very day she was very angry at him. And her comment to me was, I would rather die than have any serious relationship with him. I would rather die. I'm like, oh my goodness. I tried to tell the young man, like, this isn't going to be that easy. And he said to me, but the Lord told me, the Lord told me to do this. And he began to pursue her. And, uh, well, you know the story. They became engaged. 
uh, I had the opportunity to mentor and counsel them. And then they asked me to do their wedding. And it was a great wedding. And I um, took a different approach to preaching this wedding than I had ever done before. And I actually started the ceremony. What it sounded like, like I was trying to talk them out of getting married on their wedding day. <laughs> and what I talked to them about was their calling that he, without a doubt, was called to be a missionary. And he had already done some missions work in Russia and really felt like God had called him to Africa. She had lived in Latin America. She had uh, already learned Spanish fluently and strongly a calling. And I, I, I began to say to them, don't you know that if you get married, you're going to be distracted? Don't you know if you stay single, you can give yourself wholeheartedly without distraction to serving the Lord and doing what he's called you to do. You don't have to have all these other worries and concerns. Don't get married. This scripture I'm reading, you shouldn't get married. Stay single. Be content to be single. They're looking at me so strange, like, aren't you supposed to be doing our wedding? Why are you trying to talk us out of it? This is our wedding day. They've got their wedding party there. They've got the rings. They've got everything. And I'm up there. Sounds like I'm trying to talk them out of getting married. And then I came to the punchline. If you're single, you can totally give yourself to serving the Lord without distraction. It's better to stay single. That's to the young woman. That's to the young man. Contentment is being so passionate about serving God. But then when I said, unless you can serve the Lord better, unless you both have the same passion. You are both radically and totally committed to serving Christ with your whole life. And then you have synergy. And it's just like rolling that big ball of weeds up. You can do more together than what you could do by yourself. And there is no distraction because you're in it together. It's so important to have purpose in the development of a relationship that is leading towards marriage more than just being around this guy makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me feel good. He treats me well. Those things are important. But when you talk about a marriage that is really going to have impact, it's tied with purpose. And of course, I'm a pastor and I'm a disciple maker. So I am emphasizing the importance of putting God first. So that's the first thought I wanted to share about how a young woman can uh, prepare for marriage and look forward to marriage while at the same time uh, practicing uh, contentment. Okay, so what I see in a younger generation, and I primarily millennials 
And I know sometimes people that I'm working with are a little younger or a little bit older than the millennial designation, but many of them have seen uh, so many uh, broken relationships and broken marriages. Sometimes they question whether or not they can be successful in a committed marriage relationship. And I think that is where the fear comes in. And then out of that fear, um, they, of course, uh, delay marriage, or maybe they enter into uh, living type relationships with another person, but they don't want to make a commitment of marriage. And what I have discerned and what I share with them is it's an issue uh, of commitment. It's a fear of commitment. And so I really try to talk to them about the importance of commitment, that commitment comes from the heart of God. Matter of fact, we could use the word covenant. Uh, as we read scripture, we realize it's about a covenant. It's first of all the old covenant and then the new covenant and a price that was paid uh, for our salvation. And that price is uh, the covenant. It was a covenant that was made uh, for our salvation. So God is about covenant and he's called us to be committed covenant people. And that's where the blessing is. Uh, when we try to enter into uh, relationships uh, that are not based on covenant commitment, the blessing is gone because we're outside of God's divine purpose and God's standard. So helping people overcome this fear of commitment, I think, is really important. Thinking through some of the experiences or interactions that I've had, I can see where it can be truly very worrying when you're seeing failing marriages all around you, you know? Um, so thanks for that. Okay. So, so, um, I am one who is a little bit reluctant to, uh, use stereotypes either for male or female because there's always exceptions. Um, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Um, there's differences uh, from individual to individual. So I don't want to use stereotypes. Uh, women like to talk more. Men don't talk as much. Um, well, that's not always true. Uh, I know some women that are pretty quiet and some men that talk a lot. Now, it might not always hold true. I, I know that, but I try to stay away from stereotyping uh, male and female uh, behaviors. I do recognize as I study scripture that we have um, God-given roles. And a lot of times when people are studying scripture, uh, it becomes kind of uh, confusing and concerning. Uh, for instance, when we read in Scripture about the man being the head of the woman, and in premarital counseling, that is a topic that I always talk about. 
Where we live is a rather rural area, country, we say. And uh, it's interesting to me, there are sometimes individuals that maybe have not been in church for years. They're not practicing Christians, but somehow they have this mindset of if I get married, uh, my wife is going to do what I tell her to do. I'm the head. I'm the boss. And sometimes I wonder if that's the only thing from the Bible they think they know. And every time I pick up on that attitude, I think, you know, something's wrong. Something's wrong uh, with this concept. Now, the Bible does talk about the man being head of the wife, but the way that I encourage men is this has to do with responsibility. It doesn't have to do with dominion. It doesn't have to do with superiority. It has to do with taking responsibility taking responsibility for the well-being of the family, the well-being of your wife. Actually, to me, it means putting your wife first, putting her first of, I'll lay my life down for you. The scripture says that men ought to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I mean, do you really? Do you really love your wife? Well, would you lay your life down for her? So when I read the scripture about headship, I always want to balance it with this has to do with responsibility. This has to do with putting the well-being of your wife, of your children, first sacrificing yourself, laying your desires down to be certain that they are uh, properly taken care of. And then what it says to uh, the wife that she is to reverence or respect her husband. There's something uh, within a man about uh, the respect of his wife that is so important. And uh, again, the attitude of the wife towards him. Is she negative towards him? Is she critical towards him? Uh, Is she frustrated with him? Believe me, if she is, he knows that. He knows that because in his heart, he so much desires that uh, she would respect him. It's something uh, extremely important deep down in, in, in the man's uh, soul. Uh, my wife and I talk back and forth, and it's like, uh, okay, do we focus in on the things that are deficient? I, I hate to admit that. I just turned 65, and we went to a marriage conference a number of years ago, and they challenged us to change our vocabulary, not to talk about deficiencies, not to talk about problem areas, but to talk about growth areas, and I don't know it. (laughs) made it a little bit more palatable. Uh, Well, that's the growth area, you know, still growing in that area. But what if we focused more on the areas where we really see uh, God's grace, where we really see uh, the good things that God has worked in us? What if we focus more on those things and then uh, trusting that together we are we are growing, not transforming each other, not 
correcting. Um, you know, I think there's a place of being able to speak into each other people's life. But I don't want to step into a father role with my wife, and I don't want my wife to step into a mother role with me. Um, I love what the scripture talks about uh, uh, living with your wife with understanding and honoring her as a joint heir. That is so important that we are joint heirs. Before Christ, we are on the same ground. We might have different roles in, in the marriage relationship, but before Christ, there is no inequality, none at all. We honor each other uh, for that calling and that gifting that God has placed inside of us. Uh, that is so important. When you say honor the gifting that God has placed inside of us, is there a, it, it's not clear to me. How do we, in a practical way, do that? I know sometimes we talk about things in very ambiguous ways, like, oh, my wife is a very gifted person. But what if I took time to think specifically what her gifting is that I so value, that I so love and I so appreciate, and I see God, that God put those things in her and that those things help me grow in the Lord and be the person that, what if, what if we really identified them? And then I spend time thanking her for being that person, for using those gifts. Now, I can be a fault finder. I can be saying, well, you know, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. But I, I want to be more one who is focused on seeing the good, seeing the valuable, seeing the precious. And so honoring to me is really being thankful for those gifts that God has put into our lives. And, and this is from both the man to the wife and the wife to the, the husband. So that on is, both sides. That is correct. And again, I, I have some thoughts about if a man is the head, the head doesn't mean he's controlling and demanding. He's leading by example. So really good for men to exemplify these things. The problem is a lot of times men hadn't been raised that way, but uh, hey, we can do something different. We can do something better. Was there anything else you wanted to add? We do a program in our discipleship school called Personal Wholeness, where we take people through a process of assessments and looking at their inner inner life, their inner emotion, their inner thought process, processes, and their beliefs to lead them to a place of healing through the work of Christ on the cross. And we address what we call strongholds, which we define as thoughts with power. And there's a scripture, 
I'm reluctant to read it out of King James because it sounds so strange. But 2 Timothy 3.6, it talks about a type of individual, a man who's a wicked type of man. And it says this type of person or this sort are they who creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lust. And just that term, silly women, seems so uh, derogatory, so strong. So I would like to read it from a different uh, translation. The English Standard Version says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. As I studied the scripture and I studied the original terminology, I saw that when it says weak women or translated King James, silly women, it talks about vulnerable. That's probably a pretty good term, vulnerable. There's a vulnerability. There's a wound. There is something that's broken on the inside. There is something that is needing healing. Um, there is something that's looking for a, a, a resolution or, or something that will fill that void or that emptiness. And I grieve when I read that there are individuals that can detect or discern that vulnerability, and they would take advantage of it. They would try to uh, use it for their own purposes, not caring about the needs or, or of, of the uh, individual. But so important to address those inner wounds as you're preparing for marriage. You don't want to be bringing uh, those type of weaknesses into uh, this relationship. You want to find healing in Christ. You're not looking to another person to be your healing. Your healing is in Christ. It's the cross. It's what he did for us. Uh, we look to him whenever I'm looking to another individual as my source of healing. That person becomes an idol to me. That's a wrong relationship. And so as we are helping young men and young women to prepare for marriage, we're really pressing them, find healing in these areas where you have been wounded, whether it was some type of an abuse that you experienced, whether physical abuse or verbal abuse or emotional abuse or, or rejection. Turn your eyes to Christ. Find wholeness in Christ. Don't bring this vulnerability into the relationship. Don't be looking for another person to be your source of healing. Christ is your healing. And it changes the dynamic then of the relationship where the relationship can be healthy. So I just really wanted to emphasize the importance of, of experience deep healing from the Lord as we step into these uh, committed relationships. And I'm all about committed relationships.
in terms of what makes a woman a good woman, um, is there anything else that you could, well, so you spoke about some of the things like, you know, not trying to change the man and so on, but is there anything else that you could add to that about what makes a woman a good woman and then, of course, a good wife? So one of the scriptures that I had thought about, and uh, it talks about uh, in the book of Peter, about a woman, her adorning, let it be the inner, the attitude of the heart, not, not the outward, the plating of the hair, the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but the hidden person of the heart, the hidden man of the heart that is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. People are beautiful. And, but when we become overly focused on outward appearance, and I'm not saying we should neglect the outward, but when there's over attention on the outward and a neglect of the inner uh, we're really losing out on what truly makes a person beautiful, especially in a committed relationship. It's one thing to see somebody on the street and say, oh, aren't they a beautiful person? It's another thing to be in a committed marriage relationship. And uh, yeah, they look great on the outside, but what comes out of the inside is like, oh my goodness. I don't care how beautiful they might look on the outside. After a while, if you're living with someone that is angry, resentful, and reactionary, and whatever the other behaviors are that are not the inner adorning, but truly to have a, a heart, an inner spirit of, of loving God and loving your spouse, showing that you care, and loving your children, and being an encourager, being compassionate, being merciful, and being quick to forgive. Thank you for listening to Smart, Fabulous, and Single. If you loved it, please download, subscribe, rate, and share it. Then head over to our website at www.sfswoman.com to access show notes and other fantastic bonus content and resources and to sign up as a guest. You can also sign up to continue the conversation in our Facebook group. If you want to share topic ideas, email me at pod at sfswoman.com. Okay, so thanks again and don't forget to join me for new episodes Mondays to Fridays. You can also connect with me on FB and IG at smart, fabulous, and single. And remember, what you have on the inside of you is far greater than your circumstances, weaknesses, and fears. So you already have everything you need to live life successfully. Mm-hmm.